Aboard the 1040 EZ, on the eve of Christmas Eve, John Pilot's mood is as tumultuous as the waves. Embracing his inner Scrooge, he shuns even his closest friend, Taters Malley. Yet the sea holds magic on this night. Visited by ghosts of his past, present, and future, Pilot embarks on a revelatory journey. Can these apparitions soften his heart, or will fate cast him overboard? Discover a maritime spin on Dickens' classic where redemption may be beneath the moonlit waters in Pilot's Carol by J. Alexander Greenwood. Includes author's notes for each episode as written on Kendall Vella. Read by the author. Stave 1 The fingernail of waning crescent moon seeded the night lighting to the strand of inexpertly hung Christmas lights swaying in the breeze. The colored strand hung loosely from the superstructure of the 1040EZ, itself bobbing up and down not far from the deserted Marquesas Keys. Drifting from below deck and through a cranky speaker in the wheelhouse, Bing Crosby's White Christmas faded into Sinatra's loose cover of Jingle Bells. Taters Malley sent a curse into the Yuletide ether, staggering up to the deck where John Pilot tipsily rode one of the two fighting chairs installed on the stern ready for battle with the obstinate trophy sharks and predatory amberjacks, their dark stripes extending from nose to dorsal fins, not unlike Pilot's mood. Dropped them, Tater said, shrugging sheepishly. All of them, Pilot said, put out, his interior dark stripe widening. An entire crockpot of little smokies? Yeah, they hit the deck, Tater said, cracking open a Modelo Negra. Well, crap, Pilot said, sitting up, hands on the teak armrest. What do we eat? Well, we can have little smokies off the deck. No. Or we can open some sardines and Vienna sausages. I might have some saltines. How the hell did we manage to go out on the eve of Christmas Eve all the way out here to the Marquesas without proper provisions? I'll have you know that the bar is fully stocked, Tater said, standing up straighter. That is a Gibson martini you're nursing, is it not? With actual tipsy onions? Pilot had to concede the point. Tipsy onions are hard to find in Key West and a must for his martinis. True, but still, I don't want to eat off the floor, and I'm not a huge fan of Vienna sausages, stale saltines, or sardines. You'll change your mind. Not likely. Whose idea was this impromptu fishing junket anyway? Pilot said, a filament of irritation winding into his tone. You're the one who offered to pay for the gas if we went out. So, we went out. Pilot looked to the east. When are we heading back? First light, Tater said, turning up the music. I always thought Crosby and Bowie doing Little Drummer Boy was surreal, you know? You, j- you just know old Bing couldn't stand Bowie, Pilot nodded. Taters regarded Pilot a moment. What's up with you, man? Pilot harumphed and crossed his arms over his chest. I-, I was really looking forward to those little smokies. The barbecue sauce smelled incredible. I have some of that left. We can put it on the sardines. Pilot shook his head. I'll just uh, pace myself. There's a whole jar of those nasty onions in the galley, Tater swigged his beer. Don't have to be a damn gloomy Gus at Christmas, you know. I'm fine. You're pissy as can be just cause Kate wants Christmas back in Iowa. Nebraska, damn it. Close enough. So instead of making the best of things in the time we have left, you're munching on soot. You mean dining on ashes. There's a blizzard brewing back there, Taters. I get flashbacks. Maybe so, he said, snorting and scratching under his cap. But you're also just being an ass. He snorted again and went down below. 
The December skies favored Pilate with a beautiful view. No clouds obscured the fabled North Star and its neighbors. He wasn't really irritated that much, just restless. All he could think of when he got off the plane in Key West was getting aboard the 1040 EZ and losing himself in the peace of the waves. Now he had two martinis, his stomach rumbled, and he just wanted to get back to the Island of Bones. You know, you know you're hurting his feelings being so grouchy, so Simon said. He is, he is so, so excited to see you and you're being Taters threw a pillow and a blanket from below deck to pilot. Good night, Tater said, slamming the shutters to the cabin closed. Well, that's just peachy, pilot mumbled, kicking at the pillow. He inhaled deeply, held the sea air in his lungs a moment, exhaling as he got to his feet on the swaying deck. Taters, he called. I'm sorry, man. I don't know what my problem is. Pilot's sentence was interrupted by an unusually big wave colliding with the boat. Pilot scrabbled for the fighting chair's armrest with one hand while trying not to spill his drink with the other. He succeeded at neither as another wave struck the Connie's port side, sending Pilot sliding on the blanket, then flying ass over tea kettle. Pilot recoiled from a cold, wet sting to his face as if somebody slapped him with a trout. Stop it! My head already hurts! His clothes felt damp, his head nauseatingly swimmy when he opened his eyes to a blur of twinkling Christmas lights. What the... Get up, Mr. Pilot. The voice... familiar. Simon? If you can't get me off this deck, then go away. A mirthless laugh ricocheted around the swing deck for a moment, punctuated by what Pilot assumed was some sort of ghastly throat clearing. Uh, Simon, not hardly. That's strike one. Pilot's eyes widened as he took in the blurry shape standing over him. Taters, cut it out and give me a hand. That's strike two. I'm not that dimwit who smells of fish. Help yourself up, Mr. Pilot. I have some things to tell you and I don't have much time. That's some bullshit. That's my theory on that, Pilot said, trying to focus his eyes on the shape. His vision started to clear as he picked himself up off the deck. He touched his forehead gingerly. Warm, wet blood stained his fingers as it trickled into his eyebrow. Ouch. Hurts, huh? What do you think? Pilot dabbed at his forehead with his shirt sleeve. Stung. I think I have a concussion, Tater, so quit screwing around. Get the first aid kit. I mean it. Technically, that's strike three, Jean Pilot. Hmm. <laughs> You were always a little slow on the uptake, weren't you? Pilot grabbed the armrest he had missed earlier and studied himself. His eyesight still blurred. He muttered, This is stupid. Who are you? Ask me who I was. You're pretty particular for a hallucination. And you're pretty sure of yourself for a guy you can't see and probably has a concussion. You've struck out again. Oh... Hell no. Bullshit, Jack. You're dead, and I mean stone-cold dead, for something like seven years. Why do you doubt the evidence of your own eyes? Because a little thing affects them. A knock on the head. Uh, too many martinis on an empty stomach. There's more cocktail than coffin about you, whatever you are. Miraculously, at that utterance, the shape's face came into focus. A funereal visage, dark eyes burning in a face the peculiar shade of gray, like forgotten meat that went bad in the back of the fridge. His well-coiffed hair and prim, fussy mustache completed the gruesome picture. Jack Lindstrom. Pilot gripped the armrest, fighting the urge to retch all over the deck. He smiled broadly, and his face cracked. Bits of gray skin flecked away, revealing facial bones, the skin landing like necrotic dandruff on his moth-eaten fleece vest. In the flesh. Sorry, couldn't resist. The deck swayed again, just enough for Pilot to sit down. Okay, all right, Jack, this is bullshit, but I guess I have no choice but to play along. What do you want? 
Jack brushed the skin from his vest, then unzipped it. Opening it, he revealed his skinless chest. It looked like barbecued ribs. Well, actually, barbecued ribs that had been gnawed by rats. Barely a hint of meat left. Festooned to the ribs were shiny objects reflecting the boat's holiday lights back at him. What the hell? I miss those tin roof ribs something awful. You ever go by there these days? Um, it's closed. Pity. Jack, what are those things on your... You know? He looked down. Oh, these. Just some credit cards, mostly. Oh, and here's some property deeds and, oh, a couple of death certificates. Oh, don't tell me. You, uh, you wear the chain you forged in life? Pilot's head throbbed. Don't be a smartass, he said. We all wear chains. We all bear burdens. So, you still married to that great piece of ass? Easy, ghost face. Dead or not, I can still kick your ass. Lindstrom chuckled again. Okay, okay, he said, letting go of the vest. As I said, I don't have much time. Then speak your piece. Can, can you sit down? Jack looked puzzled. Yes, but I'm dead, so why should I? Good point. Look, I'm only here because it may shave a few centuries off my sentence, Jack said, casting his eyes at the sky. Sentence? Yeah, you know, I, um, did some things I have to pay for. You know, embezzlement, conspiracy, murder. Well, that one's complicated. So, uh, where, where do you reside these days, Jack? I don't have time to explain it to you, John. What I do have is a message that I gotta get back to the salt mines. Fortunate for you. What? Well, I mean, you probably need salt, what with hell being so hot and all that. Is this really the guy who outsmarted me? Jack said, arms splayed, beseeching the sky for an answer. Hell is not what you think it is. And you're the only one I know who was locked in a hot box for days. I bet salt sounded pretty good to you then, right about day three or so. Can we please just... Pilot said, cradling his head in his hands. Yes, if for no other reason, then I don't want to engage in badinage with a cretin friend of yours below deck. No thank you. Then get on with it. You will be visited by... Wait, but let me guess. Three spirits. Stop interrupting me. No, smartass, you will be visited by a very bad headache tomorrow, but tonight you will have three strikes. Oh, God, you, you with your three strikes bullshit. Did you ever even play baseball? Jack looked at the deck. No, but anyway, you'll be faced with three trials tonight over the hours and... Wait, can't I just take them all at once? I mean, really. Anyway, you get the gist. Good luck, John. Ever notice we're both named John, Jack? Yeah, but I'm the flip side of our little Janiform relationship. You, you really flatter yourself. I need a drink. No, I think not. You would not be who you are today without me, he said, zipping up his vest. You refuse to face so much about yourself. So who sent you? Telling you that's not in my contract. Anyway, you'll be visited. Don't strike out. Th this is stupid. Jack extended his hand, pointing a bony finger at Pilot. Look at me no further and don't forget what I said. Jack backed away. Watch out, Pilot said, pointing at the side of the boat. Jack Lindstrom smiled, more skin falling from his face as he propelled himself overboard as if he were a scuba driver. All was quiet on deck momentarily, except for the roar of blood flowing angrily in Pilot's head. That was some weird shit. A wave of nausea overtook Pilot. He grasped the arms of the chair hard to steady himself and fight off blacking out. 
The Christmas lights swayed and blurred as if he had grown a massive cataract in a few seconds. He tried to blink it away. Daters, he called as the darkness overtook him. Author's note, as we do in the Kindle Vela format, the author of each chapter is allowed to give a comment or two, and that's what I will be doing right now. Apologies to Charles Dickens. I adore this classic and believe it works well in the John Pilot milieu. Pilot is a man afflicted by ghosts. There's Simon, the ghostly apparition he can't seem to shake, and the memories of those he has lost. And more than a few baddies he has hastened to their end. I think ghosts haunt John in many ways, and he, just like the rest of us, has to make the decision to ignore or engage with them. It's impossible to ignore them after a knock on the head. I hope you'll come back for the next episode. Like this one, it's free, and if I say so myself, it's fun. Aboard the 1040 EZ, on the eve of Christmas Eve, John Pilot's mood is as tumultuous as the waves. Embracing his inner Scrooge, he shuns even his closest friend, Taters Malley. Yet the sea holds magic on this night. Visited by ghosts of his past, present, and future, Pilot embarks on a revelatory journey. Can these apparitions soften his heart, or will fate cast him overboard? Discover a maritime spin on the Dickens classic where redemption may lie beneath the moonlit waters in Pilot's Carol, a five-part series, written and read by the author J. Alexander Greenwood. Pilot's Carol. Does Pilot have a ghost of a chance? Available exclusively on Mysterious Goings On, available wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for joining us on Mysterious Goings On. Be sure to follow Mysterious Goings On wherever you get your podcast and never miss an episode. Don't forget, you can get the links to books and other things mentioned on the show at mgopod.com. Until next time, keep reading. Keep reading.